Yeah, yeah, I decided that early. I wanted the dual narration thing because with my first book, Eggshells, I got so into Vivian as one slightly odd narrator and I got so immersed in that one character. It was great fun, but I wanted to try something different to kind of see things from two perspectives. So that's why I wanted the, the two narrators. I'm Diana O'Connor. Welcome to the Dingle Lit Podcast. Diagwit agus fóta dan podcrail fela litrhe corfigwina. Each year at the end of November, Dingle Lit Book Festival brings together a unique weekend program of events in English and Osgwelga on the Dingle Peninsula. In this episode of the Dingle Lit Podcast, Paula Shields talks to Dublin writer Katrina Lally about her second novel, Wonderland. Lally's debut, Eggshells, was shortlisted for the Newcomer of the Year Award at the 2015 Irish Book Awards and won the Rooney Prize for Irish Literature in 2018. Let's join them now as Katrina begins with a reading from Wonderland in the voice of Gert, who is on her way to visit her brother Roy in Hamburg, where he is working as a cleaner at Wonderland, an exhibition of miniatures. The airport was packed. I sat on a metal seat and watched the procession of attractive people pulling wheelie suitcases with one hand and holding disposable coffee cups in the other. Their steps were assured, their faces unstrained, and I wondered if their lives were really all that simple. I looked at the different destinations on the screen. Hamburg was beginning to lack the appeal of other places. Maybe if I stared hard enough, the perfect destination would become clear. Every new city that appeared on the screen whirled around my mind. I pictured Paris skirt in a stripy top, sipping red wine. But I don't like red wine and horizontal stripes do me no favours. I imagined Milan girt, but again the fashion quivers took me over. Chicago girt was, was tempting, a city with plenty of skyscrapers. I feel safest when I know there are people higher up than me, and I surely couldn't feel low when everything was so high. I boarded the plane at the last possible moment. My bags were so lumpily packed, they'd be easily, easy stuffable around the boxier suitcases. Sure enough, as departure time approached, there was an announcement of a, de- of a delay, and I felt smug about waiting to sit down. I organised my heft into the seat and looked out the window at the baggage handlers fecking cases into the hold with almighty force. Funny how it is we pay our holiday savings for a lengthy view of our runway. There were toots around me. A mother desperately tried to contain her toddler's limbs. Well-cut passengers made it clear they were frustrated because they had places to be. But I was quite content. This was a holiday for me, to just sit and not to have to do or sort or make or act. I opened one of the magazines that I bought for the trip. The only time I buy magazines really, pages of raw mesh that they are, telling me that buying this must have or wearing that signature piece, holding your go-to handbag or wearing your statement skirt would make me stand out from the crowd. But if we all wore what they told us to wear, we'd all look the same. We can't all stand out from the crowd, so we'd be all standing back into the crowd. Teaming they go on about too teeming different pieces of clothes with the right accessories. And teeming it is, teeming it with nonsensical horseshit. 
I don't know where they get such words from. Words you'd never use in the supermarket or the pub. Words that don't mean what they really should mean. Teams should be about ball games or groups of people all wanting the same thing, not bits of a rig out put together just so. And the tips on go-to handbags. Surely all your handbags are go-to. There's no point having them if you don't go to them. And as for statement pieces, what if you don't want to state anything with your clothes? What if you just like them? I flicked on through the magazine to the comparisons between expensive designer versions of clothes to cheaper versions for ordinary women. Problem is, on my carer's wage, even the cheaper versions are out of my budget. Their skinted is my minted, and I don't know where that leaves me. I once calculated the average cost of the nine skirts the style pages of a Saturday newspaper supplement showed, 327 euros. That's what the style writers thought the average woman could spend on a skirt. And the galling thing was, this wasn't even one of the fancier magazines. And I was baffled by this use of the singular. Team a red lip with a smoky eye, pair a cigarette pant with a kitten heel. If an alien were to read those magazines, he'd think human females were born with one lip and one eye and one leg. There's also advice on how to pull off the latest trend, how to make something unwearably ugly, wearably ugly. But why would you spend your time and money buying ugly outfits that require such efforts to wear? Why wouldn't you just wear what you want? In the beauty pages, there was a roundup of the latest BB skin creams and CC creams. How long till the manufacturers make it to the ZZ creams, having got an entire alphabet out of our purses? When I got to a gardening feature that said dahlias were becoming cool again after having been dismissed in the past, I thought, ah, for the love of God. Bad enough to be told that your clothes and shoes are gone out of fashion, but when the contents of your garden are outdated, that might be when we need to take a look at ourselves. Thanks, Katrina. As we've just heard, Gerda's a very funny narrator. Now, she's plenty on her plate back at home, and we'll get to that in a minute. But Roy's none too pleased when she turns up on his doorstep. What's their backstory? They have a fairly fraught relationship, as you said. They, they, they're brother and sister, so they have this closeness, which, which I love, that they, they have this automatic kind of closeness because they knew each other as, as children. But Roy has been... I suppose sent away by Gert to Hamburg. Um, there were rumours about him and an inappropriate relationship at home that she decided instead of trying to solve it or fix it, she just found him a job in Hamburg with a friend of hers and kind of sent him off. So he's not that happy about that. And um, now he's too passive. He still went along with it and didn't uh, object to it. But he's they're kind of antagonistic towards each other. They're they both kind of I suppose maybe like children or teenage kids who live together, they're looking for ways to annoy each other and kind of bicker and squabble. So I wanted there to be a bit of push and pull between them. And the book alternates between brother and sister, each of their own chapters. She's in first person and he's in third person. Why this structure? And was it something you settled on early in the writing of the book? Yeah, yeah, I decided that early. I wanted the dual narration thing because with my first book, eggshells I got so into Vivian as one slightly odd narrator and I got so immersed in that one character it was great fun but I wanted to try something different to kind of see things from two perspectives so that's why I wanted the, the two narrators 
And then the first person was for Gert, like you heard from that piece. She's she reads things, she listens to things, she kind of internalizes things and thinks things through a lot. But Roy, the brother, is much more out. No, he's not. He's not extroverted, but he's more external. Maybe he doesn't have. He's not introspective. He doesn't allow himself to think deeply about things. He just kind of goes through life reacting to things or or even acting, but not dwelling too much on why he's doing what he's doing. One of the great things about Wonderland is that it actually exists. So viewers here can look it up online. Um, you know, it's its own work of fiction with these invented places and people and scenes. But where did you first come across it? Um, I had started in 2014, I had started writing or I'd come up with the idea of Roy and Gert, just the brother and sister. And I didn't really know where to place them. Uh, Eggshells was very much based in Dublin and I wanted somewhere new. So I decided to put Roy somewhere living abroad. So there'd be two people who are not from this country living there. Um, and I happened to visit a friend in Hamburg for a while and went to this model railway exhibition, which I'm kind of obsessed with miniature stuff anyway. And that probably comes through in the book. Um, and I love trains. So when I visited this museum, I thought, wow, it's amazing. So I visited three times and took loads of notes and photos and um, yeah, I think the, the people working there probably thought I was trying to <laughs> steal their ideas or come up with an alternative one myself. But um, I decided to put Roy then working as a cleaner there. I just I just love the magic of it. And I like I kept thinking of what would this place be like at nighttime when nobody's around? And Roy gets to do that as a cleaner. He gets to go in before the visitors come to clean this exhibition before there's anyone around. And it just seemed kind of magical, that idea. Yes. It's a camera angle on a world few of us have. And I'm mindful of the fact that, you, you know, you know about the housekeeping world, the cleaning world from your work at Trinity. So how much of your own experience fed into his observations on people? I mean, he's funny in his way, too. Yeah, there, a good bit of me did come into it through, yeah, through his work. And I, I started with Roy as a security guard first. That's the job I gave him because yeah, where I work in Trinity, like most of the cleaners are women. And most of the security guards are male. So I just kind of automatically had him as a security guard and then realized there's more interaction with the exhibits if he's actually cleaning them. If he's, you know, he can he can do more damage if he's pretending to whack it with a cloth or whatever. But the security would have been just watching it. Um, yeah, the angle of the cleaner was a lot of my, I suppose, yeah, my own experience came through. Just the idea of not being observed and even when there are visitors around, he can kind of get away with doing a lot because people don't really notice the cleaner. They just kind of overlook the cleaner a lot. And that's useful in a way, I think, for Roy, especially when he wants to do a bit of damage. Well, in a sense, it reminded me of the novelist gaze also, you know, watching maybe when other people aren't. Of course, there are two things, you know, that we should mention at this point. One is that Wonderland is full of, you know, scenes of lewd monks and people watching things and people having sex. And, you know, it's, it, it's much well, much funnier and more disturbing than one might expect. And Roy is meant to be a cleaner, but of course he is smashing the place up. I don't know, how would you describe what he's up to? Yeah, that's, so I suppose he sees it as um, tweaking it or making it better, improving it. So he's a bit prudish and some of the sex scenes bother him for various reasons. So yeah, like and like you said, the Wonderland really does have all these uh, monks, pervy monks and, uh, like sexy so at the start when you go to it initially you, you think this is for kids this is brilliant and then when you look really closely you think wow there's a lot of a lot of extra stuff going on and um, so Roy's I suppose feelings about things because he doesn't dwell on things as they are 
he deals with life, I think, through interacting with the, the Wonderland, with the exhibition. And he robs figurines or he smashes them, the ones he doesn't believe in or the ones that offend his taste. Um, and of course, he almost takes Wonderland too personally, whereas Gert doesn't get it. You know, what does that reveal about both of them? Hmm. I think it was, I think for Roy, it was because, because Gert sent him there and organized this job, he felt that he should, she should love it. And then she comes over and she's kind of, oh, it's, it's too much. It's just, I suppose she's trying to deal with her own problems. And then it felt, I think it felt too intense for her and too make-believe, whereas Roy exists in his own kind of make-believe world and it just, it suits him perfectly. And he has, I suppose he doesn't have much of a life outside of his work. So this has become everything to him. And the figurines are almost friends or little, you know, colleagues to him rather than his own actual colleagues who some of whom he struggles to 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 deal with how much is this a novel about what's fake and what's real Katrina you know some of the reading at the outset you know Gert's looking at women's magazines well in a way they paint pick a perfect world which something like Wonderland can look at look like as well from afar how much was that on your mind when you were writing funny I hadn't thought of that as I was writing but it's only as I've kind of come to the editing process and seen it as a whole myself and talked to other people about it, that that has kind of come through. Um, yeah, I suppose I do like the idea of this alternate world, like what's going on behind, you know, behind what's shown out there. Like the, you know, Gert gets angry at another point about social media and this curated perfection of, you know, you hear about Instagram or Twitter or whatever, where photos are put out of gorgeous holidays and it's not the reality. And I like that idea of just this person Gert, who's feeling alienated from, from the real world and feeling angry at all this kind of pretense. And she kind of lashes out in her mind now. She doesn't actually do anything about it, but she's venting about it. Yes, one of the things I loved about the book is it's very much she is not having a great holiday. And it did make me think about how we all feel under pressure from a weekend away to come back and say it was all wonderful. And, you know, Gert has times where she can't face going out into the city. And any of us who've been abroad, you know, that is part of the experience. Yeah, exactly. The pressure to look like you're having a great time. And then the fact that it's Hamburg in the winter and it seems to be raining most of the time. It's dark. She's like she hasn't been away on her own without the kids in years. She was expecting a lot. And then suddenly, I think because her problems all come to a fore, like she hasn't had the time to stop and think. And then she's getting down and then the weather isn't helping. I suppose if it was sunny and it was a seaside resort, she'd be she could be happier. But the, the mood is bringing her down. And you know, Gert has her own problems at home. Her husband, Alan, is very much a presence in this book. And he's uh, clearly had and possibly still has ongoing suicidal ideation or certainly severe depression. You know, what was your interest there? I think I wanted Gert to have, I suppose, a secret. And the way that Roy has a secret, like this inappropriate relationship that nobody is talking about, and then Gert, I suppose I wanted to put pressure on her, some kind of pressure at home. And if she had a husband with a physical illness or ailment, a lot of people would know about it and there would be supports. And I think she's trying to hide this depression or else her husband is. But either way, nobody seems to know about it or can understand it. And she it alienates her and it isolates her. So it's part of the kind of secret life she leads. And I like this idea of just hiding well, I, I not that I like it, but it interests me, this idea of having having to put on this front to go out in the world, but she's under colossal pressure at home to kind of keep going with the 
the marriage and to hide it from the kids and keep keep everything going as normal for them. So yeah, it was to increase the pressure and to make it a secret thing, which added its own pressure that she can't talk to friends openly about this. And you make her, you give her the job of an, uh, of carer. So in a way, it's another unseen, underappreciated occupation. Another job outside the office norm. Talk to me about that. Yeah, so most of the jobs I've done, I've had one office job in my life, but most of them have been carer, cleaner, like home help in people's homes or carer in a nursing home and postwoman <laughs> at Christmas. So I, I like physical work. Um, I just, I really like kind of going in, doing your job stress-free and coming home and it's, you know, you're not thinking about it. Um, but it does interest me, this kind of assumption that everyone works in offices, that it kind of, it comes through in magazines for that. And this is one of Gert's rants, as you know, somewhere in it, that this idea of, you know, wearing your, de- your dress from desk to dinner by adding a necklace or something. Um, you know, with the pandemic, there was constant talk of we're all working from home now. And a lot of people aren't like there, there is this kind of unseen world. When, like, when I get the Lewis into work, I get the half five Lewis in the morning, the first one. And it's packed, like it's packed with people. And you kind of think this is this whole world out there that's, you know, like my, my parents are always shocked that town is buzzing at six o'clock in the morning. It's just loads of people going to work. There's a whole other dimension to, to the working life that's not always talked about. Um, I think he must be interested in collecting as well, because, you know, one of the things Roy obviously is, is he's a collector. He's, you know, he's creating a kind of wardrobe miniature wonderland at home. Um, and Vivian, too, was a collector, stroke hoarder, pick your, <laughs> pick your title. Um, and is that is that an interest of yours as well? Or, you know, what's your take on yeah. that? It is. It, it's something I have to watch myself. It's it's like, say, jugs or teapots like, and often miniature things. I can't stop collecting them. And I've had to stop like, for <laughs> reasons of space um, and books. Like, I mean, most writers, I suppose, would be collectors of books. But Alice in Wonderland books in particular, I just got obsessed with and have multiple copies with all the different illustrations you have. But um, I just like this idea of like, I, I kind of queried it myself, where, where does it come from? What, what does it say about you that you want to say if I, I buy a book rather than go to the library to, to borrow it? Now it's great for the writers, they get a bit of royalties, but you know, why do I need to keep it? Even if I don't love the book, I have to battle with myself to pass it on to someone else. So it's that kind of hoardy tendency. I'm not sure it's the healthiest <laughs> of tendencies. Um, but yeah, Vivian takes it to extreme in eggshells with the, she's a, I'd say, uh, yeah, slightly pathological hoarder. But uh, yeah, with Roy, it's more collecting and making his own of the, the figurines. Mm. Mm. It's quite poignant, really, as well. Um, in some ways, Gert and Roy are unusual people. They're both quirky. You can see why they're related. They have their own take on things. But to what extent do you see them as all of us? They could be any of us. You know, we all have these mad thoughts in our heads or, you know. I don't know, yeah, how, mm. okay, it does interest me, I suppose I haven't seen enough, I haven't heard enough from other people who've read the book yet to know, but from eggshells, like over the years, it fascinated me how people seem divided between either getting Vivian and her eccentricities or else being horrified by how anyone could live like that or think like that, and so I think some people ha- are hiding <laughs> slightly more bonkers thoughts, but but some people genuinely are straight up and what they say is what they mean. And yeah, I, I wouldn't know if I'm being, you know, representative or anything. It's just, I, I, it's what I'm drawn to, 
odd characters or eccentric people who think differently or especially people who can't hide it who just come straight out with what's in their head I think one of the fascinating things about both of them and probably Vivian as well is that idea of these are all people we might pass by on the street and not give a second glance to and yet whatever about their lives their heads are full of drama I mean is that how you do you think we're all like that that there is no such thing as a quiet life uh, yeah, I, I think, I suppose most people have secrets to some extent, don't they? Like, you know yourself with friends or colleagues, I, I found it too with the cleaning job, with the women I've gotten to know over the years. And some of them have the, you know, cheeriest smiles and will get their work done and have a good word for everyone. But then there's horrendous trauma at home or awful things happening. But there's just this get on with it, can do spirit that I love. I'm, I'm hugely, hugely admiring of it. Um, I'm not as good at putting on a happy face if I'm... <laughs> you know if I'm down about something but some people manage it um, and just battle on through life regardless of what's going on at home and I was trying to give Gert a bit of that that kind of I suppose she gets down about it on the holiday but in her reality in her real life she's just battling on trying mm. to make the best of everything she's kind of looking after her patients at work and her husband and her kids and trying to cope with all you know her other family drama and just trying to do it with humor which I respect hugely Language is a theme in this novel. I mean, in a way, you think that could be said of any book, but particularly here, you know, those lovely German phrases at the start of every chapter, that idea that people don't know what's being said or, you know, tell me about that. I mean, does that, again, do you speak German? Those lovely phrases, those compound words at the beginning of the chapters? I, I'm leaving Sir German, so I, I wouldn't have good German at all. After that. That's a long time ago now, but I, I did, I loved, I studied German for the nouns really like the verbs the whole grammar system it was too complicated so I can't really speak you know form the sentences like they should be formed but I love those compound nouns I think that they have them in Irish to an extent too those kind of where you join a load of nouns together to make something and it's it's very kind of logical but it's also beautiful and yeah I, I like that idea of just what what isn't translated or what you know, Roy is hoping that if he speaks German or learns German, that he'll be able to make himself understood in this language, that there must be some language that will reveal him or speak to him the way English seems to do for other people. Like these, I like the spaces between words or languages, those kind of untranslatable words, which I suppose a lot of the German compound nouns are, like schadenfreude would be the obvious one. Those kind of, yeah, it does fascinate me, those the different languages have different words for different concepts that English doesn't have. Um, and I kept thinking of the word doppelganger because I kept wondering how close is this wonderland to the actual place? Oh, and like yeah. I said, it's layers of fiction, you know, because obviously they've invented those scenes and those worlds are growing. I saw online that Venice has just been added to, you know, I noticed... Why do you think, I mean, you've talked about being interested in worlds in miniature, but, you know, we all are. I saw the writer Rose George posted on Twitter last week that her brother had just built Britain's largest model railway. What do you think that our interest in those tiny worlds are? I don't know what it is. Is it like, is it control? Is it that you want to kind of see a whole thing together to try and capture like globes, say in maps? I'm obsessed with them, even though I can't, I can't really functionally read a map, but I love the idea of containment that you're trying to know a world by looking at it in miniature. Um, yeah, I think is it Simon Garfield wrote a book about miniature. He mentions the model railway exhibition and just the doll's house thing. Like that fascinates mm. me. And, and having kids now, 
course, one of the first things I bought my daughter was a doll's house just so I could <laughs> play with the miniature furniture. And it's, it is being childlike all over again, isn't it? It's kind of like when you played with your dolls as a kid, it was that kind of some kind of doctoring that you can do in the world. And, you know, in reality, you can't. You. It's just, and some kind of inventing of worlds, isn't it? Again, yeah. much like the novelist. Yes, exactly. Or or a gamer, I think that kind of world building. It's yeah, it fascinates me. Um, is Wonderland more the location than Hamburg in this book? I think so. Um, it all because Roy lives in the warehouse district in in a kind of converted warehouse just beside the Wonderland, so it's centered around that tiny little hub. Like Gert does do her wanderings into Hamburg to try and do some sightseeing but she's always thwarted, like something is always closed or, and, and that happened to me a couple of times because I, the first two times I went to Hamburg, it was winter and I was trying to do a tour of the port, going out in a boat, because I love ports, that's another obsession of mine. And it wasn't running in winter. And then I tried to do something else and it was closed. And I decided to put that in the, in the book. It was, oh, visiting Schlump, that lovely word I loved on the, the U-Bahn, the, the, the subway train. And I tried to do that. And again, when I tried to go, it, you couldn't get off there because they were doing works in the station. And I just, that really appealed to me, this idea of going as a tourist, setting out to do all these things and then not being able to do them and feeling like you'd failed as a tourist, that you hadn't done what you're supposed to be doing, ticking the boxes of all you're supposed to see. Um, so that was, so yeah, Hamburg doesn't, it, it's there, but she doesn't really get into it. She doesn't, you know, they go, to, she goes to a pub herself. I suppose that's her, her big night is she finds a pub and, has, has a few too many, but it's not really sightseeing. Um, I, you know, I also wondered, Katrina, how much, you know, you have the idea for the novel, you find the setting for Gert and Roy, how much do you know at the outset and how much do you find out as you go along? I knew way too little <laughs> on the outset <laughs> and I wouldn't advise writing it this way. Um, I spent seven years basically from start to finish uh, writing this and yeah, next time I would definitely know more from the outset and plotted more. I got kind of lost in the characters. So I had my brother-sister relationship and that to me was the, the focal point. But then I needed something for Gert and her kind of backstory took off about her husband's depression and what she's trying to manage at home. Um, and that, it just kind of drowned me in it. In it. Like I was, I couldn't find a way out of it. Just even though I was doing every second chapter, I was, there was so much stuff. There was just so many words. Um, so this required a massive re-edit and Emma Dawn in New Ireland did a huge job with me. She just kept pointing me into how to, you know, you have to cut 10,000 words here. It's like, oh, ouch, but <laughs> it had to be done. Um, so I would like my third book, I'm determined to know more from the outset and start with a plan. And even if you don't know exactly where you're going to end up, maybe to go at it more intensely and just keep at it rather than drag this thing out like and it's not that I was writing for seven years I was stopping and starting and stopping and starting so mm -hmm. that was my problem here mm -hmm. I, and in terms of I'm always fascinated by endings you know I often find myself mid-book thinking how is the author going to get us out of this now and obviously we're not going to give away the ending here but did you have that in mind all along as well and what do you want the ending to do you know what do you want the reader to take away I had the ending in mind, yeah. And the mm -hmm. middle was my problem, trying to get to the end. Um, I suppose for me, I don't like an ending that everything 
that had everything perfectly packaged up and tied with a neat little bow and you know everyone's happy and all problems are solved I didn't want that but I do like an element of hope I didn't want utter despair either especially like it is a dark enough novel I didn't want to go too too dark so yeah a bit, a bit of hope um, some resolution but I didn't want everything perfect and did you have a favourite between the siblings? Um, no, actually, it was funny. I, I liked each of them in their own way. And then mm. each of them has glaring faults. Like a couple of people have said to me, oh, Gert is amazing. And she, she has amazing strengths, but she's also quite controlling. And, you know, she has a touch of the martyr about her, which so she's neither of them are perfect. Put it that way. I think Roy's faults are probably more glaring, but, you know, uh, both of them have their their ups and downs so I, I like the I like the contrast between them I like the kind of repression of Roy and that third person help to keep a, a distance and then I loved kind of getting really into Gert's head and especially after Vivian maybe who was I suppose she was kind of ethereal and not connected to the real world and Gert is very connected you know she's there's a, everything's quite how do you say earthy I suppose about her she's very engaged with things that are going on in reality and with eggshells, I read somewhere that you're writing a screenplay for it. So are we going yeah. to see it on TV or on a cinema screen anytime soon? I don't know. It's, it's very early stages. So it got, it's in development stages. It's been optioned to uh, two, uh, two producers, to co-production team. So I'm writing the screenplay, which is brilliant. Like it, it's an amazing new thing to learn and to think, to think in terms of dialogue too, because eggshells is really internal. And that's the main challenge to try and get all those thoughts into dialogue with somebody else when a lot of it would have been just in her head. So, so yeah, I'm enjoying the writing of it, but who knows? It's, 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 I think at the first stage now, it takes, I don't know how many more steps to actually get it on film, but we'll see, maybe. And I was watching, I saw an interview with Damon Galgut, um, again, I think it was at the Belfast International Festival, and he was saying that he finds finding the next idea for the novel takes him forever, that he's a very slow worker. How about you? Does finding that, is that a struggle for you or do, does the next idea kind of build organically? The ideas aren't the problem for me. Like I have notebooks of ideas. It's the kind of which one will I go with? And I think like, I wish I was really good at short stories because I love the idea of being able to use those ideas. Um, you know, like as I was writing Wonderland and spending years getting stuck in it, I kept thinking, oh, if only I'd gone with this one. Why didn't I go with that idea? So I don't know. I might. I haven't started the third one yet. I'm thinking of taking a break from fiction for the next book and trying nonfiction just for something completely different to, to challenge a different side of my brain. But I'm not not fixed on anything just yet. I'm waiting for the new year. No, very good. I um, The other thing he said that I thought was interesting, halfway through The Promise, he had written a couple of plays. And he said it loosened something up. It changed how the promise turned out. So I wonder, will the screenplay writing for you have any impact, do you think, on future fiction or nonfiction writing? Yeah, I, I could definitely see how it would have an impact on fiction. And who knows with the nonfiction, it could as well to make things more visual. But I wouldn't see myself as having a hugely visual intelligence or something. But a screenplay makes you think much more externally. And, you know, setting obviously is massive and... Yeah, dialogue. I think I think I probably would have more dialogue with characters that I would have shied away from in, in both Wonderland and Eggshells. I, I think I'm more comfortable with the internal thought processes, but but they're also hard to read. I know now from reading, you know, with my attention span is is lower with having kids and not getting enough sleep. I'm 
I much prefer books with more dialogue in them now. So I think I'd be drawn to, to that myself. And short chapters are also, also good. That was Katrina Lally chatting with Paula Shields as part of the Dingle Lit Book Festival in November 2021. You've been listening to the Dingle Lit Podcast. If you want to hear more, follow us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also watch the interview online, look for Dingle Lit on YouTube or go to dinglelit.ie for more information on upcoming events. Thanks for listening.